Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome to Training Well Done, your podcast on the what, the why, and the how of quality training. And I am here with a special friend, my guy, one of the most interesting people that I know, Richard Butler. How we feeling, man? What's up? So good. Good, good, good. We were chatting here, and Richard is a king of one-liners, comes with wisdom, and he's able to make really well-thought-out things fit in one line, something that I strive to do, and that annoyingly many people in my life feel like I don't do. How do you get to that? How do you, how do you, how do you come up with all these one-liners, dude? So, uh, great. Thanks for pointing that out. And by the way, thank you for inviting me to be on your show. It's pretty cool. Uh, I, I used to do a lot of, uh, speaking and then I needed to leave nuggets with people mm. when I'm speaking. And so instead of just, you know, drilling it all down, how can I get it to be a couple of words to stick? And then I thought about how the news shows, uh, will just take a sound bite from someone speaking. So they may have been talking for 15 minutes, but they get a sound bite. And so I wanted to always have a sound bite that people can just hold on to. So I worked uh, on it. Okay. And so it's, a, so it's a skill. So Richard, as you mentioned, he gets to speak a lot. He has many, many hats. The hats that I can easily think of. So Richard is a, um, he's, oh my gosh. So you work for the city of Pittsburgh doing their city fitness and wellness you're also a coach at Mecca uh, with rowing. And then you are also an ambassador with Lululemon, an ambassador with Clean Juice. Uh, shout out to Richard also being a best ambassador at Lululemon. I still wear my ABC pants from Lululemon yes. faithfully. I really should just go back and buy another pair because I just might overwear them eventually, but they're so damn comfortable. And yes. Richard also is a part of US Rowing and is a major part in their diversity efforts, especially when it comes to getting black women to get into rowing. And they call upon Richard to do many things. And there are many other people who call upon Richard to do many things. We actually met from you doing some diversity work with Pittsburgh Ultimate Frisbee a couple of years That's right. ago. That's right. So, right? wow, yeah. you've, you've pretty much captured most of me. Also, like, like, what do you mean? Like I'm, most like 40%? <laughs> yes. I'm also a part-time professor. So yeah, I feel like I didn't know that. Really? You don't talk about yeah. that. Since, uh, so let me see, I've been a professor at Robert Morris university here in Pittsburgh since, uh, 2003, 13 years, 13 years. And I teach in the school of organizational leadership. And my main class that I teach, although I teach leadership one and two and organizational ethics, my main go-to is understanding and managing diversity in the workplace. Imagine that. Oh, see how you keep running back into that. Yes. So that's how I actually launched my diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting business based on having to write curriculum around diversity, equity, and inclusion for the workplace for, for the college. So. Interesting. So yeah. with, with someone doing that much work, like in diversity, equity, inclusion, like what kind of values do you have that, that drive you into that? Because that's a, you know, it's not, it's not niche because it's something that we need because we actually live in a niche for most of us history where that's not the case. So the niche of not being inclusive has long been the standing status quo. And so for you to commit so much time into that, and then as well doing leadership, there are some interesting crossroads that happen there. And I kind of want to know like what values you have that, that steer you to do this kind of work. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think I'll unpack the, my master's degree first, because that'll lead us up to it. So uh, my master's is in organizational leadership. And I purposely got my master at a Christian college uh, because they teach servant leadership. And so my core value is actually being in service of others. 
I could have easily gone to any other college and learned secular leadership. But um, I, I really believe in that inverted org chart where I, as the leader, is on the bottom holding up everyone else, um, being a resource. And so uh, my number one core value is either, if you want to call it servant leadership, or simply being in service of others. And you'll see my hashtag, one of my main hashtags is hashtag in service of others, PGH, because that's, that's, my, that's my go north. I think when you met me, I may or may not have told you that I, have a, or I also have a personal mission statement. And my personal, personal mission statement is uh, to make a difference in everyone's life that I cross their path. And that's back to that being in service of others. I've heard you say that, definitely. Okay, very cool. And so in being, like doing work and being in service of others, it's definitely a different mindset shift from, you know, creating something for people to just do stuff for me versus how can I, you know, go make the world a better place? And how can I go and enrich other people's lives between what, you know, what we do in business to help enrich people's lives, but the people that we interact with in a, in a, what seems like a much more relational type of way, because when you serve people, you get close to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of deep thought with that one, but I, I believe when we have, if we all set goals, here's a great example. I talked a young man who never voted before into voting for the first time, or maybe his second time. And he, he, we were talking and I said, look, I vote not for myself. I vote because other people need my vote. Mm. I vote because the country need my vote. And so when we have goals and, and if it's not, about being selfless, then we almost don't achieve those goals. But when we have something greater to go towards, which for me is at the end of the day, how have I been in service of others? And there's, there's not a time in my daily life that what I do isn't directed to serve others. Now, that's actually interesting you say that in regards to how hard it is, how hard it can be to achieve when you are not serving others. Why do you think that is? I think we, I think that we are intrinsically drawn to, towards, or motivated to support each other as humans. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're tribal by nature. And, you know, we, we need the entire village. And I, and I believe if we all have that mindset, then the divisiveness that is there wouldn't be there because you would be serving to support each other, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And when you think about some of these big projects that go on, you know, between like nation building or different charity awesome. product projects that are enormously large or international or they uh they've helped you know been built countries have been built on the back of some of these they've generally been done in service and yes you know some people have egos about how they want to have some things be grandiose but in the process of wanting to serve people well there's always somebody to help and so it almost breeds no not almost it does breed expansionism with you know whether it's charity hospitals um different you know nonprofits or different you know, businesses that go to serve, it breeds this desire to scale them because this is like you realize, oh my God, I can help these people. But then there's those people I can help and there's these people I can serve and there's these people that want to be a part of it. And so we need to be bigger so we can bring them up to higher levels of responsibility. Uh, you know, that's actually really interesting. Whereas when you go out and you just go to achieve your thing, Sometimes it's, it might be harder to get people on your side to go and do it with you because it's still, you're just doing it to do it almost. Yeah, that, that's, that's actually right. Uh, the, the way that I look at it is everything that I am is because 
of other people helping me be who I am. Period. I, I, I can't take credit for anything on, of my own. And, and then that goes back to my saying that I didn't create, but I love saying it. Um, if I'm not, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm looking to achieve a goal, I know that I can't do it alone. It may be a goal to serve me, but I probably are going to need some other smart people to help me get there. And so when we're struggling with goal setting and we, we don't have help, there's not, there's no sustainability there. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a big part of sustainability is, you know, there's this whole aspect of business. If you're not growing, you're dying. And really in a lot of things in life, if you're not growing, you're dying. Physiologically, there's a turning point and I am slowly approaching that turning point where like all the cells in your body that help your body replenish cells faster than they die off, that cause you to grow and that's what youth is. And they reverse. And then because you're not growing, then everything goes in reverse. But, you know, in regards to relationships, in regards to businesses, in regards to movements and having momentum, if it's not continually growing, then it's going to recede. And having goals and things to strive, that's what, that's what makes things grow. If you have nothing you're striving for, there's no energy behind it. Like no one gets excited to do the same old thing, the same old way. Right. That, that's, that's exactly right, Donald. Um, you reminded me, you actually asked me another question earlier about how, I get, how did I get into this DE&I work? <laughs> and I, just, I just realized that. So let me just say, besides that, I, I, I got my master's on purpose, as I said, through a Christian college. And then I made it, I was determined, because I was a really piss poor college student, and I didn't know how to get support, and I didn't know, I, I really didn't belong in college, but I ended up in college. Uh, I always promised myself that I would go back and teach as a professor in case there were students struggling like myself. Mm. And normally, uh, most of the times, they only want PhDs. And uh, through my network, uh, one of the first African-American uh, full-fledged professors was a client of mine. And I said, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you walk my resume to someone at Robert Morris? And she did. And the dean of the organizational of organizational leadership interviewed me, and they just simply said, um, "Your life experience is really important, and so we would like for you to be a part-time adjunct." So, so that's how I got there. But the DE and I stuff actually started when I was ten years old. At 10. At 10. Like you recognized that this was a thing that you needed to be, a problem you needed to address. There was a problem I needed to address because in 1968, Dr. King was assassinated and I was 10 years old. And I, and I stood in the middle of Brushton Avenue in Homewood, watching Homewood burn to the ground. And at that moment, it hit me that people hate the color of our skin that much that they would kill someone who is trying to promote kindness and peace and equality. And I realized that there needed to be conversation. I needed to be the person to begin to introduce white people specifically of my humanness and that um, there's 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 an abundance on this planet, not a scarcity. And as soon as you begin to learn that there's plenty for all of us, that's 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 when we're going to get together uh, to be kind to each other. And so I thought, so as a kid, I became an activist immediately, and um, have have done so many marches and so many knocking on doors and getting people out to vote. Um, and that just naturally led to, in my adult life, uh, consulting practice in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Wow. I, so a couple things. A, like, I know of our gap in age, but it was like, dang, like you were 10. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Yeah, it's a small gap. Oh, this is a small gap, you know. <laughs> I, um, I, got to, I got to witness National Guardsmen, all white, with billy clubs, beat the crap out of people. I got to, you know, uh, a thousand National Guardsmen in our streets, a uh, thousand people arrested, uh, one person killed, uh, hundreds of businesses burned to the ground. And to this day, there's three communities that this most affected, the Hill District, Homewood, Brushton, and the North Side, to this day, are still struggling to be thriving communities. Yeah, and it's, it's evident, and you, you can see these things. And wow, you know, it's, it's, it's humbling to realize, you know, how a lot of the creation of, you know, these problems are not old. Like right. People like to treat these things like they're just so long ago. And it's like, no, there was this, um, do you listen to Joe Rogan at all? Um, sometimes. So I, I'm like, sometimes I listen to his clips. I haven't really got down to listen to all his podcasts, but there was a clip from one of his standups and he was talking about how people, you know, act like the found America is so old and it's like, no, it was like four people ago. Like if everybody lived to a hundred years, it's like four people ago. Correct. And it's like, yeah, this, that was not that long ago. You know, there's only a few generations that separate where we are now from, you know, pre-industrial America, pre not people being slaves America. Yeah. You know, frankly, slavery was lasted about 361 years, right? The, the Jim Crow laws were still happening late in the 60s in the South. The great migration that started from the South in 1915 lasted all the way till 1970. And so yeah. all of those black folks fleeing the South to help create our industrial uh, movement in our urban cities stuck, ended in 1970. Yeah. I know those people. <laughs> They're our relatives. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had this written down. I had did numbers on this and between like after 1965, people, black people having, and, and, and all the rest of the Americans having full rights to like vote and do things is like less than a quarter of America's actual history. Right? Like, like I think closer to like 15% of its entire history is, oh, everybody can actually do things. It's just really small. <laughs> Think about that. I was born, kids are born with cell phones in their hands today. I wasn't born to be able to vote. Mm. Yeah, mm. sit with that. My, that. That's my parents were the parents who had to cross the street if a white person came by. That's, you know. While, while I was a kid. And that all happened just in one person's lifetime that's still thriving. Correct, right? Yeah, so it, it, it's the, the movement, the civil rights movement, social injustice, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, because I'm reminded every day of my life that I'm a black man in America, I might as well also remind people that um, we might not be able to protest away hate but if we start remembering that uh racism is actually not in our heart but in our minds and i start educating them then that that's that's huge and so you know taking on that kind of work you also have you know you've coached for a long time you've coached not only just people with you know consulting and helping them with mindsets you also like physically train people like in personal training you own the gym like how did those experiences lead you down that path Whew. where do we start <laughs> i'm glad this i'm glad this is all about me so here we go <laughs> great questions uh yeah i've been in the fitness industry for exactly 38 years this year Okay, wow. And, yeah. Are you even 38, right? Bro, I'm like 10 years younger. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. 
Um, and let me uh, let me tell you a story of how I actually got involved in fitness because I think it's super important. I don't even know if you know this story, but I got involved in fitness because I was bullied like on a regular basis. I got involved in running because I had to run from my bullies every single day of my school age. I'm guessing this is before you were 6'2". Exactly. Well, I was tall. I, was, I looked like the number one already with a size 14 when I was in like nine or 10. So, you know, I was gonna get picked on. You know, that, that's right or wrong. But I would run to school through the alleys, three miles to school, three miles back, and I got quicker and quicker. But the, but the main part of that story is I got so tired of when I did get caught of getting my butt kicked that one day I saw in the back of a comic book something about lifting weights. Mm. And it was like a bodybuilding advertisement. And so I started scrounging around my neighborhood for weights. And I found these vinyl, these vinyl cover weights with cement on the inside, the little skinny bar, don't even Olympic bar. And I started collecting those things from all over the neighborhood when people would put them out in trash and created a little gym in my basement. And I just started working out. Hmm. And I kept, I kept training myself. And I kept, frankly, I was stealing books on weightlifting because I couldn't afford them. <laughs> That's the truth. And I, I, I started training. I started getting bigger. And I like to say that what I was building at that moment as a young person was my armor of courage. And from that, the next time, uh, so the bullies started saying, oh man, Butler, you're looking pretty big. What are you doing? <laughs> I said, lift the weights. And I said, can you, can you teach us how to do that? Really? I said, sure. Now, you know, it's wrong to, it's wrong to teach bullies how to get bigger, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but they became allies mm. so, because Butler started training them. And so I've got my training chops on my enemies. Interesting. And then wow. I went on to, yeah. And so when I got to college, uh, you're, you know the college, Slippery Rock. Good old Slippery. And Slippery Rock, yep, go Slippery Rock, SRU. And um, Slippery Rock at the time was a purely physical education college back in 1977. The term, I don't even think the term exercise physiology happened at that point. I could be wrong. I think it was called kinesiology, period, not exercise physiology. But um, I began to take, although my major was um, communications, mass media, radio, and television, I decided to take as many, gorge myself, or as many teaching and coaching classes that I can hands on. So I started taking all of the teaching and coaching badminton, teaching and coaching judo, teaching and coaching wrestling. I, I just gorged on all of, all of that, teaching and coaching Olympic lifting. Uh, by the time I got out of college, I should have minored in PE. Um, and so I, when I left Slippery Rock, I was thinking I was going to be the first black Walter Cronkite. Do you know who Walter Cronkite is, by the I way? Don't. Nope. He was, a, he was a famous news anchor. Okay. And I wanted to be the first black famous news anchor. Uh, we only had three networks then, right? So that much television. And uh, Bryant Gumble beat me to that, by the way. But um, why don't I like I know that name? Bryant Gumble. Oh my God, he's he was like he was the he was a news anchor first. Then he became a sports anchor. Uh, then the HB the show on HBO. Um, what's that show called? Can't think of the name. There's a sports show uh, on HBO, but um, I couldn't find work in television or radio or newspapers, so I started knocking on on gym doors mm. because I had this background. I actually had joined Slippy Rock's weightlifting club as well to get to learn from these national level weightlifters, um, and so I started knocking on doors in Washington D.C. And I literally knocked on doors and said, hey, I would like to work here. And they would pretty much say, go away, kid. 
finally I went to one gym in DC and I went to the owner and I said, Hey, look, you don't have to hire me, but if you let me learn from you, you'll have the cleanest gym in DC. Ah. And, yep. And so he agreed. And so, you know, I, the, I took this as an opportunity. So he did have the cleanest gym in DC, but every time I saw someone lifting, I would give them a tip. Hey, you know, if you did that a little bit with your thumbs turned this way, you're, you're going to get even more results from that. Hey, did you know um, if you did your squats like this, da, 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 do you know about front squats? And so I would just chat up the members. Well, the members thought I was a trainer. So in those days, trainers had swept the floor. They didn't do personal training. And so they would ask when I wasn't there, where is Richard? He's been really helpful. And so the owner decided to hire me on and I turned down that job. And, and he, he was like, why? I said, I, I, I have something better for you. He said, what's up? I said, you know, in California and Hollywood, they have these personal trainers and they train people in their homes and they charge lots of money. Let's do that here in your gym. He's like, let's try it out. And so I started personal training in the DC area in his gym and uh, the rest is history for me. Um, I've had a lucrative career in the fitness industry uh, with personal training. I think, you know, you know, I teach rowing, I teach boxing, I teach cycling, any type of group X. Uh, and so all of that to just say, another extension of how I can be in service of others. Dude, wow. So if there's any teenagers, any young people in their 20s who are looking about how do you create opportunities for yourself? It's about creating value. And the most valuable people are able to create opportunities when there were none in the first place. Yeah. If you're able to walk into somebody's establishment and on your own merit, bring more value like that's just that's an amazing setup and and you know you get you get a better career out of it everybody wins in that case uh dude that's that's really dope <laughs> yeah and i and i hope that if there's any business people business owners listening don't kick the kid out of your establishment mm. you might end up with someone that's very innovative that will help grow your business if they don't, simply because they don't have a resume doesn't mean they don't have a brain. Yeah. This is funny. I have a guy who's actually en route on the way here, my next appointment, who we're meeting to kind of get to know each other. He wants to shadow and was like, you know, I, I just hired somebody, so I don't really have space for that. But he's like, yeah, I just want to shadow and learn. And um, I'm interested to see what happens. But like, literally, it's just like, I just want to learn and I'll do whatever is necessary to just kind of be around. I'm like, that's pretty dope. And like, that's how I had to come up doing college strength and conditioning. Like that's how that whole world is. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, that's, I spent a large portion of my life, as you know, mentoring and love people to shadow me. And uh, I, I think that's the right thing for us to do back to that simple fact, right? Being in service of others. Yeah. So as you've transitioned, you talked about having your own DNI consulting businesses and doing a lot of consulting because you also work in organizational leadership. How did, how did you pivot into that? And, you know, how do you serve in, in those avenues? I think people hear people talk about having DNI, but I don't think many people really understand what that kind of work really looks like, especially when it comes to organizational development. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great uh, question and uh, pronouncement, basically. You know, it's one, the number one thing I tell organizations, order someone, hire someone that actually is the content expert in this space, not simply because they lived it, but also because they academically have researched it and... Um, continues to academically research it. Uh, you, you know, my, one, one of the things I love to say, you're, you are entitled to your opinion, you're not entitled to your own facts. Mm. And I don't want anyone ever fact checking me 
because it was my opinion. And so because of that fear of being a fraud, I'm going to make sure that I cross all my I's and dot all my T's to make sure that I am the content expert. Um, I actually got into organizational leadership because a lot of corporations, because of my personal training business, said that I was motivational and they wanted me to come in and coach and, and, and talk to their employees. And I felt like I wasn't qualified for that. And so I decided I can be qualified if I go get a master's in it. And so that was, that was actually the catalyst behind me getting my master's degree in organizational leadership is so that I would not have someone in the back of the room raise their hand and ask me, what the hell do I know? <laughs> I know leadership. Mm. That's, that's what I know. I, and, um, and so that's, that's how I got there. Uh, and then just shifting into the DE&I, uh, besides, I, I, as an activist, I knew that there was more to just standing out in the street protesting. I recognize that if we want things to be different, then we have to understand how to walk the halls of injustice. We need to know how to uh, sort through those policies and help uh, unpack those policies so that they're less systemic in holding people back and becoming a barrier and 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 more um, equitable. And and so really digging even deeper in all aspects of what diversity is and what inclusion is and, 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 and what equity is and, and, and all of the subsets of all of that uh, to be able to intelligently help people unravel their own racism. Mm. Help people unravel their own racism. That's quite a line right there. Right. <laughs> That's quite a line. Right like I'm still playing on that. Not, not calling people racist, but helping them really better understand if they're not a racist, how they benefit from a system that does not provide opportunities for all of its citizens. I feel like people really sleep on like what that means. You know, they get all guilty or not. It's like, it's just what it is. Like, it was built for you to win. Like, and if you don't, yeah. well, that's, that's another story. But, like, it was not built for me to win. And it took a lot of people, a lot of sacrificing and a lot of people to continually realize just how flawed that is. A, because it's morally flawed, humanely. And it's also bad for the actual you know, country. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, when we talk about an example is inclusivity. If I want the best sports team, period, and I want to dominate the Olympics, then I need to be able to go through the largest athletic pool possibly for that to happen. And so if I'm just going to people that are like me, how strong is that athletic pool? Mm. And so, so, so it's important to, to make sure that we have a, uh, a selection of all of our citizens to be the strongest that we can possibly be. Yeah. You know, there's been studies, there's been studies that organizations, Fortune 500 organizations produce not necessarily more profit, but actually perform better as an organization, the more diverse they are. So, so I don't go around claiming that you're gonna increase your profit by 20%, but I will tell you that I will help your organization outperform other organizations based on the fact that you have a more diverse intellect in the room. Yeah, you can only get so many ideas if everybody thinks the same and if their backgrounds are all the same and yep. if their expectations of how things go are all the same. It creates a lot of sameness and sameness creates stagnation. Yep, you can't, you absolutely, you, you're, you want, so the reason why they outperform is because you have more intrinsically motivated people then because it's more interesting to come to work, actually. 
when you have different people to come to work too. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's really interesting. I think about uh, in, in iterations of my gym at one point, especially right before I opened up this facility when I was subleasing, I had a lot of people that were from out of town because Pittsburgh people don't like to cross bridges and they don't want to drive through tunnels. And so my, my gym that I was subleasing was on, was in Bell Suver on the south side. And so all the people that I know on the east side are like, I'm not driving over there. But all the out-of-towners would. But all the out-of-towners were like international people or they were from right. different coasts of the country. So at one point, I think close to half of everybody that I had that was serving at the time was from out of state. And like almost a quarter of them were from out of the country. And, you know, they were all people who were very well traveled. I think at one point in like 2018, I think we collectively had been to like nearly 150 countries just within the little like 20 people that were here. Hence the name Global Performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you know it does it but it makes it exciting to go and meet with people people have so many different stories and before we got on, we talked about what you know being interested versus being interesting and while I do find a lot of value in interesting people it makes you more interested in them and the more diversified your environment is, then there's more to learn you know there are so many things to unpack with the people that you work with. There are so many experiences that will happen along the way that if it's a lot of sameness, everybody might respond relatively similar minus some, you know, actual personality changes. But now when your perspectives, your worldviews, your histories, everyone's is different, then it really, the culture of it evolves and it becomes an exciting place to be. And for me, having a variety of people makes being here exciting because there's always challenges that come that come with having different types of people. And I've noticed that when, you know, at phases where my gym was very diverse and even in small pockets of time where it was a little less and uh, just how dynamic the conversations were. Yeah, I like, I like that a lot. I, I know that when people hear stories, a great example is, I can e easily tell a story about slavery, and I can easily say that, yeah, there were uh, 15 million enslaved people, uh, but by the time they made the two-year crossing, there's only 12, or, or there was 12.5 million. By the time they made the two-year crossing, there was only 10 million survived. So that's okay. That's shocking enough. But when I say now think about this, that was 2 million individuals that died. And that was 10 million individuals that were enslaved. Mm. All of a sudden, you go from that mass to that individual. And you're not going to have this conversation on your own because no one is telling you this history. And so the more different people from Ghana, from here, from there, someone whose grandparents were... Uh, 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 you know, basically imprisoned in Germany. Uh, when you start hearing real humans' conversations because they're different, you actually, maybe you become more compassionate, uh, maybe you become more empathetic. You had asked me about one of my values, or my second value actually is compassion. My second core value is compassion and making sure that my neighbor is okay. Thinking about having lived in a few different places and, you know, just my little bit of travels, there's a lot of empathy to be gained when you really realize how other people live, how they value things differently than you. And guess what? Their life goes on just fine. And they believe in different things from you. They care about different things. They respond differently. And again, their lives are just fine. And, you know, if you meet the right person, you'd be like, oh, their life is actually better than mine. And, you know, it opens you up to realize there are so many ways that life can just work. And it, I think it creates more patience. Like for me, I don't know, I'm not going to say that necessarily traveling and meeting different people and, and creating my own spheres of diversity have made me more patient. 
but it's certainly by itself, but it's certainly played a role in my ability to be more understanding, to be a bit more forgiving, to be a bit more, a lot more curious. It's one of those things where it, it, it's opened up more questions than it's answered a lot. And, you know, wanting to figure out more things about how people work and how the world works. And I think that is a benefit that you get when you actually care about the variety of the people around you. If you're only caring about your little sphere of people and you're only caring about the opinions of those who grew up like you, then you lose that curiosity that humans have in wanting to find out more and then being able to do it without, without heavy judgment. Because there are some people who are curious and they go out and, and explore the world, but they, they, they explore with a sense of superiority instead of a sense of curiosity that things could be equal and yet still fabulous and different. Yeah, you, you know what, that, that's, that's right, Donald. Uh, I have experienced that well-traveled people really are open for all of the possibilities. Uh, one of the things you said that it reminded, it reminded me of this, a lot of times people don't start the conversation because they heard this old cliche that you need to walk in the shoes of somebody else. And I want to throw that little cliche out of the window because that's a non-starter. A, I wear a size 14, uh, <laughs> but B, you, you, I don't want you to experience what I've experienced, but I want you to ask me where my shoes have been mm. and ask me where my shoes are going and can I walk beside you? You, you don't need to be in my shoes. And so, cause that's a, like I said, that's a hard start, but asking where your shoes are going, where have they been? is much more powerful that's actually another one of richard's lines that's a, that's a great one right there wherever shoes been and can we walk beside that's much more of a companionable act so to say yes. than just yo like i'm being your shoes because yeah hey that's unsanitary like that's disgusting why are you in my <laughs> shoes first of all but also, you know, you, what, what are they going to do? They're going to just sit there with no shoes? And I, and, I can't, and, I, and I can't even begin for them to feel what I feel in their heart. And that's what they mean by that. But you can feel in your heart where I've been and where I'm going and how I'm getting there and my struggles. But you're not going to feel my heart. You're, I don't want you out in the streets angry on behalf of me, a black man. I want you in the streets angry that you have to be in the streets. Mm. <laughs> there are so many people who, yeah, sometimes miss that part. Yes. Yes. Why are you in the streets, right? Why are you in the streets protesting? Like, do you, do you really think people will just want to be doing Like, I've, I've been at protests. I don't like it. It's not fun. I mean, maybe there are some people out there that find it fun. This shit's not fun. It's really not entertaining. Like, you do no. it because it's a necessity because otherwise people like to ignore things. And so you need to cause a ruckus and you need to, you know, make things loud and make things bang to get people's attention and understand that this is a problem. I don't think there are too many people who would really rather spend their days being outside, yelling, like, throat be dry, be tired, be dehydrated, legs hurt. Too many people around me. I like people, but not like that. Uh, people yeah, because there's problems, right? And they do it because, if although lots of people don't like that, people do it. It's a very effective tool to get things done. Yeah, and right it forces people to have conversations because, you know, your kids are going to ask you, "What are they doing? What are they talking about?" And if you're, unless you're like a soulless human being, you're going to have an honest conversation with them about what their grievances are. And even if you as a parent don't agree, if you restrict your judgment and you tell them what their grievances are and let your child learn for themselves whether they think the grievance is valid or not, like that's a growing point for that child that 
if that protest didn't happen, the child might never know. And they might grow up thinking that, oh my God, America is just the best place because there's nothing wrong with it. Yes. And it's not to say that people, that the people who view America being the best place is wrong. It's that sometimes they view it being the best place for all the wrong reasons. And, and we have to unpack out of our, uh, DE&I backpack, diversity, equity, and inclusion backpack, we have to unpack that, yes, it's a great place, but it's not an equitable place. Mm. That's, that's the crux of this entire conversation. There's a narrative of superiority and a narrative of inferior. You're inferior. And we have to now, when we're out in the streets, we're getting a chance to tell the real story. Yeah. And it's not to say that it's a shithole here, although there are some people who would agree. Although what I do find is some of the people who are the most, some of the people who are the most patriotic and some of the people who are the most, America is a shithole country, are combined some of the least traveled and least experienced people that I know. They'd be like, have you not seen other places? There are places that do things a whole lot better than here. And there are places that are like, yeah, this is it's a lot more convenient to be here. Uh, right. I, you know, people on these, on their extremes, it's like, yo, you should get out and see the world a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's sometimes this sense of patriotism and nationalism that is just founded on the wrong things. People cheer things about, in the US that are not necessarily what it should always be cheered on for. There are other things that are that make this a great place. Um, but people like to do that blindly without it without addressing that there are some human rights issues that are here that exist in other places. Like some of the problems here are on the same level as problems in developing or third world countries. Right. There's there's you know when people ask me how to be a better ally, the first thing that I tell them is get rid of your assumptions. Mm. So stop assuming that we have shared values. Stop assuming that we have shared experiences. Stop assuming that we share in the American pie, in the America, American pie. And that's where you start. And you come with, you come with a mind that is as flat as a morning lake with no riffles whatsoever. And it's like glass. Yeah. And then you get someone to drop that knowledge bomb, that DEI knowledge bomb right in the middle of that lake and watch the ripples happen. And that's you growing and that's you learning. And then those ripples go away. So you throw another DEI boulder into the lake and it ripples and it ripples. And that's how you become an ally. Mm. Interesting. Now, before we close out, I want to go back to that quote that you had said earlier, because before we get even started the show, because I was really uh, hitting when it comes to D and I, and you had said that diversity and include diversity. And oh. You remember the quote? Because I'm about to mess it up. So I remember the quote: diversity, diversity without inclusion is tokenism. Mm. You want to uh, some closing notes, break down what that means to our listeners? Yeah, there, there's a, this is the checkbox. Richard Butler's the first African-American executive director of a rowing program. We're diverse now. President Barack Obama is the first African-American president. All right, cool. America's great now. Um, we're checking a box. And, and so for me, and so tokenism is something that we're, we're used to as a black community. Uh, uh, we're used to a, a person that's not black or BIPOC coming in to cut a check to help the poor black kids. Mm-hmm. But we would rather that you come to the community and be part of the community, not just cut a check. And so that's, that's the tokenism. Um, I'll use an example of rowing, um, rowing boathouses. Some rowing communities will say, we had a camp 
for urban kids in the summer. So we are diverse and inclusive. Nope, it's separate, but equal on the docks is what you have. Um, and, and, and so the, the way that I like to explain in, in simple terms for people about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So diversity is a party that I was invited to as a, a brown person, as a black person. Inclusion is when someone finally comes and asks me to dance. Mm. But equity is that you asked me to come and help write the invitations. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yo, I think I think we need to end it on that note. Man, that was did you make that up yourself? Yes. Oh my gosh. That was all mine. You can quote me. Yes, yes. So when you guys quote that, make sure you tag Richard Butler at, at Coach, Coach RTB, RTB. Uh, for credit for that line because that was powerful. Um, wow. Powerful but simple in its design. Yeah. You know, I have had this conversation a lot with myself about not making things complex. Like, let them be simple. There's wisdom is simple. You know, there's a reason why we like quotes because people who can put together really well thought out things into single lines and very short stories, it, it takes a lot of thought to be able to make that make sense. And uh, there is beauty in simplicity. Yeah, what's, what's your sound bite, right? What's, yeah. what's your sound bite? So, um, are you, please tell me you're not asking me. No, I'm not oh, asking Okay, right well, now, I'm so happy. Yes, listeners, what's your sound bite? Yeah, the listeners, what is your, you know, what golden nuggets will you leave each time that you're in a conversation? Every time you talk to somebody, what can you impart them with that yep. makes them think, that makes them grow? That's how you better serve them. Hey, Richard, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I hope that you all got something really good out of that. That was a really good conversation, just understanding a bit more of how you can serve the world better and, you know, leave your mark to make this a better place to live and a better place to be um, so that we can continue to grow because without growth, we are stagnant. This is Coach Donald, your host with Training Well Done. I'll see all you good people later. Peace out, like, share, and subscribe.